Hey guys, Nate here. Just want to let you guys know that if you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. A lot goes into the show and your support will help us continue to put out great episodes in a consistent and high quality way. The more patrons we receive, the better the show will be and the more stuff we can offer you, the listener. So please consider becoming a monthly sponsor of the show at patreon.com forward slash phantom space funhouse. If you can't support us financially, remember, you can always leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps out a lot, too. As always, thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. The door closed behind him and I gave out a long sigh before putting my abandoned cup of coffee in the microwave to reheat. As the glass tray inside rotated, I counted the days until my husband, Brian, would return. There were twenty-four left. Sunday was almost over, but I counted it anyway. It was the first night I would spend alone since the anniversary, and it hung over me. I didn't feel like cooking for myself, so I ordered Chinese and stared blankly at the television as evening set in. Outside of its comforting blue light, an inky blackness had enveloped the kitchen. My nerves were tense, so I switched off the television and climbed the stairs. It was time for bed. Each step seemed louder than the one before, grating on me. It was with relief that I reached the landing and walked into the bathroom. Glancing at the mirror, I smiled for just a moment. There was a smudge of toothpaste, probably thrown up there by one of Brian's overzealous rinses but the smudge resembled some of the handprints Emily used to make on the mirror as she made faces into it. I couldn't believe it had been ten years already. As I brushed my teeth, some of the water splashed up on the smudge. I felt like I'd profaned it somehow. My bed was cold, but I fell asleep quickly. My eyes shot open to a clanking sound coming from downstairs. Light was just beginning to seep through the blinds as I stumbled to my feet. Who else had keys to the house other than me and Brian? I quickly closed the bedroom door. Call 911, I panicked, but with the pang of horror, realized that I'd left my cell phone downstairs on the counter. Brian kept a handgun on the top shelf of the closet, just in case, and I was reaching for it when suddenly I heard his cheery, sing-song voice call out, Babe, you hungry? It was Monday. He had just left yesterday for his trip, and he wasn't due back for another 23 days. Brian, what are you doing here? I yelled after I'd caught my breath. What do you mean, what am I doing here? He answered from down below, his voice mixing with the sound of bacon crackling in a frying pan. I ran down the stairs and into the kitchen. There he was, making breakfast, but his appearance confused me. He usually kept his hair gelled neat, but today it was uncombed, parted casually to the right, and seemed longer somehow. His usual suit and tie had been exchanged for an untucked button-down shirt and jeans. "'What is all this?' I asked. He placed two eggs and strips of bacon on a plate, which he then put on the kitchen counter. "'It's breakfast,' he said, with an amused smirk. "'I always make breakfast.' "'Not in years,' I countered. His eyes narrowed, and he shook his head at me. "'Geez, I guess one night is as good as a hundred years to you,' he said, as he grabbed his own plate from the counter. "'It's a good thing you're so cute.' I spoke before he could even bite into his eggs. "'I thought you had work.' He simply replied, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He had to be joking. I laughed tentatively. Seriously, I said, 
in a tone that I hoped had some gravity to it. What are you doing back? I just went out to get some bacon, he said, tucking into his breakfast. I was getting frustrated. Brian, enough jokes. What happened to your business trip? Why aren't you in Phoenix? Business trip? Sweetie, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, he said, placing his dish in the sink and turning to go upstairs. Brian was usually terrible at concealing jokes. He had this nervous affect whenever he was hiding something. The calm in his face as he mounted the stairs bewildered me. What is going on? As he reached the landing, one of the steps squeaked beneath him. I thought I fixed this thing last Friday, he muttered. My eggs had gone cold and I turned them around on my plate as I heard him walk overhead. How in the world did you find time to do all this, he shouted from upstairs. Do all what, I answered back. Redecorate our bedroom, he said. Brian, it's been like that for years, I responded. There was silence, interrupted only by the squeaking of the upstairs floorboards as Brian paced around the room. It's all grays and tans now, he said. It was purple just yesterday. I knew the two of us were getting up in years, and I'd been half expecting a midlife crisis for some time now. But still, the concept seemed outlandish. It was what happened in sitcoms when the husband comes back with a yacht instead of a gallon of milk. It wasn't this. The creaking upstairs increased in both volume and frequency. My heart beat heavily in my chest. I wondered if Brian was starting to become unscrewed. His oddness didn't leave as the morning progressed. Seriously, honey, he brought up again. When did you get the time for this? I was in the living room, folding clothes, and he had come back downstairs, pacing through the house. Time for what, Brian? I asked, trying to mask the concern in my voice. The bedroom, the bathroom, this house, everything, he stammered. It's, it's all weird. What do you mean? I asked as I neared him. His voice broke through it in half a whisper. I don't know, he said, and fell heavily on the sofa. I stared into his face as I racked my mind for something to say. I could think of only one reason. It's the anniversary, I said. It's bound to put us on edge. It never gets any easier. He looked at me oddly. His eyes were fixed on my face, studying it. The anniversary of what, he asked. I had never seen him this bad. Truth be told, I had never seen him shed so much as a tear for Emily since the week of her funeral, and that was ten long years ago. Brian was never one to talk about things. I always suspected that he buried his emotions, buried it deep in his work and his business trips, and never let an ounce of weakness cut through him. I supposed then that all of that burying could only go on for so long. It had gone on for ten years already. And now he was dealing with the consequences of not grieving. Compassion struck through my frustration with his odd behavior. He was finally grieving. He was finally letting it get to him. But if he wasn't ready to mention her name, I wasn't about to push him. I smiled, trying my best to hide the pain. I meant stress. You've been stressed at work, haven't you? I don't feel stressed, he responded. Well, sometimes it sneaks up on us, doesn't it? I said. His head gradually fell down on my shoulder and he sighed. I guess? I couldn't remember the last time he had been so fragile, so open. It was such an intimate side of him. I wasn't used to it. I woke up suddenly. 
We must have fallen asleep on the couch, but Brian wasn't there now. It was around noon. I looked at my calendar and the line through the week with the words Brian and Phoenix above it. Whether he had merely left the room, the house, or the country, I had no way of knowing. He wasn't an impetuous man, but his behavior this morning made me think that he was more than capable of surprising me. I dressed for the day and poured myself a cup of coffee. As I opened the fridge looking for something to eat, the front door opened and he walked slowly in. His steps were sporadic and without rhythm. He was dressed in the same incongruent way as before. I don't understand, he said slowly, and sat down at the table as his words gained momentum. I couldn't for the life of me find the building. What building, I said, sipping my coffee. Construction works. I know, it's crazy. I work there for God's sake. I feel like I'm losing my damn mind. Honey, you haven't worked there in a long time, I said as calmly as I could. What do you mean, he asked. You quit that job, remember? You said there's no point sitting around here half the week moping. They turned it into a super saver two years ago. When did I say that, he asked. I never said that. There was an empty cup on the table, and he spun his finger rapidly around the rim. Aren't you supposed to be at the bank, too? I haven't worked at the bank since you got the job at Global Engineering Supply, I responded. I never took that job, he said. They offered it to me. I never took it. I've been at Construction Works for years. They let me set my own schedule. Are you out of your mind? His eyes passed over me in the modest black dress I wore like a sharp knife. And what the hell are you wearing? What are you, Amish? I've always worn this, I said, trying my best to keep composed, amid what was clearly him lashing out at me. Since the hell when? I wanted to shout, since your daughter died, you asshole, but I caught myself and said nothing. He stared into the wood of the kitchen table and intertwined his fingers as if he was praying. At last he looked up and said, I don't know what's wrong here, but it's something. I could tell he wanted to be alone, and I wanted him to leave. I couldn't handle him. I was beginning to think he needed a professional to unpack these emotions. He got up from his chair and walked determinedly toward the study. He stopped as his feet hit the carpet and said, I don't even know what to do for the rest of the day. I just misplaced my job. He was upstairs for a long time. At first I heard the floorboards creak wildly, but they eventually slowed and then stopped. It seemed like hours passed and not a sound. I got concerned. I was about to head upstairs when suddenly the creaks resumed and he came downstairs. I'm sorry, Janine, he said when he had descended. His face seemed paler, but he was trying to force a smile. That's okay, I answered. I watched him walk past the island to the fridge, where he opened the door and pulled out a carton of orange juice. I guess the office can do without me for one day, he said, almost to himself. Probably wouldn't be of much help to them anyway. I'm feeling pretty off. I was happy to hear he was calming down. Yeah, just take it easy a little bit, I said. He poured his glass, filling it almost to the brim, as he always did. You're right. I could use a break. I don't want to be an alarmist, but I feel like I'm getting a little screwy. He opened the fridge and put the orange juice back in its place on the second shelf. As he sat down beside me, he asked, What time is Emily getting back from Jessica's? My heart began thudding. I could hear the blood rushing through my ears. He was casually reading one of the department store advertisements from Sunday's paper, as collected as he'd ever been. Against my will, I could feel my face contorting. The tears were coming. I tried to be strong, but my voice wavered. 
Brian, I whimpered and wiped my eyes. Whoa, whoa, what's the matter? He said as he wrapped his arms around me. Why are you crying? How can you say that? I sobbed. How can I say what? My tears opened up a whole range of emotion, and the one that came next was rage. You know what? I yelled as I writhed to escape him. I started to walk into the study, but I looked back to see his dumbfounded face. Babe, he said, innocent and imploring. I really don't understand. He began to follow after me, but I couldn't take it any longer. I couldn't handle this. I wasn't about to tiptoe around this selective delusion. Emily's dead, Brian. For ten years now. And you killed her, you bastard. I always told you not to look at that damn phone, but you did. And you didn't see that truck, and you killed her. I fell back against the wall of the study, and he sank into his chair, breathing hard. He looked at me with narrowed eyes, until he finally said, What the hell is wrong with you? His voice was filled with astonishment. Emily's not dead, Janine. She slept over at Jessica's. I told you that yesterday. She went home with her after school. She's dead, Brian. I'm not feeding your psychopathic daydreams any longer, I responded. He had the stupid look of shock and amazement that I wished I could smack off his face. What are you talking about? he asked again. Stop it. Brian, stop it. You're being awful, I shouted. He ran over and got down on his knees beside me. Sweetie, look, he said, and pulled out his wallet from his back pocket. He flipped through its folds and pulled out a small scrap of paper and held it out in front of me. I felt my head grow heavy. Her cheekbones were higher and more defined, and her chin had narrowed considerably, but it was her. It was Emily. I held the picture in my hand, my eyes filling with tears. I wanted to believe it was true. I wanted to believe so badly that my girl had grown up with us safe and sound in our home. I wanted to think, as my husband evidently did, that she would come walking through our front door any minute, bright, cheery, and alive. Alive was the most important part. But I couldn't. It was fantasy, and this cruel chimera of my daughter, whose photograph I held in my hand, was only the symptom of my husband's sick mind. Doubtlessly, he had put her, one of her photos through some kind of gimmicky age progression software to feed this delusion. It's from her graduation, he said tentatively. Remember? I wanted to hit him. But I had nothing else to say. I just nodded dumbly as he took the photo from me and put it back into his wallet. Let's just take a breather, he said, helping me to my feet. Maybe when Emily gets back, we can all go out somewhere, get a little fresh air. He handed me my now lukewarm cup of coffee. She said she'd be back by now, he said, after he looked at the clock. He picked up the phone and began dialing a number while I stood in my place, dumbfounded. Yeah, hi, Natalie, he said cheerily into the receiver, when whoever he was calling had picked up. I was just wondering when you were planning on sending Emily back to us? He was smiling, but it slowly turned into blankness as his face grew white. He fought hard to regain it. What are you, what are you talking about, Mrs. Gamil? She went home with Jessica after school yesterday, he said before his expression grew cold. Yeah, well, could you ask her? Okay, I'll wait. His knee bounced rapidly up and down, and his forehead began to sweat. Yes, yeah, I'm here, he nearly shouted into the telephone. Is Emily there? Emily! 
their best friends have been for years. I dropped her off there yesterday. I'm coming over. Fine, call the damn cops. I'll meet them at your house. He slammed the phone down and sat motionless for a few long moments before letting out a loud, exaggerated laugh. I'm going over to the Gamils to find out what the hell that was about, he said as he walked to the foyer to get his shoes. He left. I breathed out and sat on the couch, staring at nothing. Some time passed, and I heard a loud thud. I ran towards the front door and found him, lying face down on the foyer, blood trickling down his nose. He was sobbing and his chest heaved violently. I just stood there. What the hell is going on, Janine? He whimpered. He turned toward me for an answer, but I had none to give. I just stared at him. I remember that truck, he said suddenly. It scared me so much. I still remember. It was such a close call. But I didn't even bring my phone that day. I'd forgotten it at home. It almost happened, but it didn't. It didn't, he repeated again, louder this time. Emily's alive. She's alive, but I can't find her, and no one remembers her. It was all too much for me to handle. I left him there whimpering and went upstairs where I stared blankly into the corner of our bedroom wall. I heard the front door open and close, but I fell asleep before I heard the sound again. It was only after he tried to hang himself from the base of a ceiling fan in Emily's old room that I finally called the police. It was mid-morning when they arrived, and he writhed and bit and spat like a crazy person as they put him in the back seat of the patrol car. I walked back inside the house and felt dead. My husband was gone, both physically and mentally, and I was an unemployed housewife, too immersed in grief to make anything out of myself. I sat at the kitchen table and let my head fall heavy against its wood. The phone rang, but I let it ring. I was too exhausted to speak. Hey, you've reached Janine and Brian, I heard my cheery mechanical voice say through the machine. Please leave a message and we'll call you back as quick as we can. Have a great day. A loud beep and a voice began. Hey, babe. My heart stopped, skipped, thudded. I guess you're out or something. Plans have changed. I'm coming home early. My plane's about to take off and I'll be there in a couple of hours. I'll talk to you later. I picked the phone up from the receiver. Hello? Hello? Brian? I frantically yelled. The only sound I heard in response was the dial tone. I had just missed him. I dialed his number and waited impatiently for him to pick up. It went straight to voicemail. I could feel a huge lump begin to form in my throat. Okay, I said as I hung up the phone. I felt like I was in a dream. I only needed a jolt to wake me up. Yet nothing came, and I was shaking violently. They were taking him to Whispering Pines. They told me so as they loaded him away. It was only a short drive from the house. I could make it in an hour. I didn't even bother to change out of my pajamas. I flew through the doors of Whispering Pines. Brian Glazer, is he here? I yelled urgently to the receptionist. She motioned for me to wait a moment and picked up the telephone on her desk. I was suddenly aware of a murmuring voice in my vicinity. I'm telling you, ma'am, they were two of them. I turned slowly. The words came from a haggard, bearded man in a wheelchair in a corner of the room. It was obvious that he was a patient, but I couldn't help myself. I walked over to him. What are you talking about? I said in a voice which I knew betrayed my frayed nerves. He didn't seem to notice. What I always talk about, he said. 
at least ever since I'd gotten here. Don't listen to him, said a man who muttered between his sentences. He's a damned kook. I am not a kook, the man responded. I'm just about the only sane one in here. As he spoke, I recognized him. Mr. Daly? I asked. That can't be you. Do I know you, miss? the old man said. We're neighbors. I'm Janine Glazer. He stared blankly up at me. I thought I saw a glimmer of recognition, but then it was gone. Are there two of you? No, I said. There are two of me, he said. One of me is living in my house right now, I think. At least he was there last time I was there. His eyes seemed glazed over and distant. I came back one night, put my key in the hole. I opened the door and saw my own face staring back at me in the dark. Whatever the thing was, it looked just as scared as I was and ran away. Oh, I was pretty shook up after that. I didn't sleep at all that night. And in the morning, it was back. I called the cops and, of course, they didn't believe me. The thing started hiding, I think. Now I'm here. I guess it's better than a nursing home. He looked around the room nervously, as if he was making sure no one was watching. I've done a little research. They don't give us much, but we get a little internet time every now and then. I think it was from another plane. A different me from a different time. Not a past time or a future time. One that's happening the same as ours, but just different. It looked just like me. He was even wearing my favorite shirt. I think it was from a, a parallel time. One where things is different, but some's the same. That's what I think. I didn't say anything, and he nodded his head in expectation of an answer. I've seen two of you, I think, he said, scratching his beard. A chill ran up my spine. One night, I watched you go inside your house. I think you were bringing in groceries or something. And I saw a woman look just like you, creeping. You, the other you, was creeping around the house. She was crying. I have no idea what you're talking about, I stammered, and started to move away. My palms were clammy with sweat. He nodded passively, and I looked to the receptionist who asked me to come to the desk. She led me through the white iron gate and out into the hallway where the patients lived. As we walked, we were overtaken by a crowd of four medical attendants who rushed past us, heading towards the end of the hall. "'What's going on, Greg?' the receptionist asked a young man in a white coat as he ran past. "'We have a problem in room 237,' he answered. "'Whoever checked the guy in needs to get his ass kicked.' I followed them, feeling dread urging me forward. I pushed through the nurses urged onward by a sick and oppressive feeling in my stomach. Who the hell performed the security check? A mustached man shouted above the tumult. Oh God, this isn't good, a woman repeated over and over. I managed to squeeze my body into the room. I stepped in something wet and looked down to see my husband's body sprawled out on the tile, his uncombed hair bloodied, the handgun from our closet in his hand. I wandered after that but I managed to get back to the house just as it was getting dark. My husband's face was tainted to me now. I turned away from him when he implored me to tell him where I'd been. He was home, of course, back from Phoenix, all suit and tie, professional as always, back to normal. I walked up the stairs and closed the bedroom door. I checked the closet. The gun was gone. 
and I sat on the bed and stared out the window as the sun slipped down below the trees. I heard a faint rustle come from the bushes outside. I thought back to what Mr. Daly had said. I think I'll be keeping him company soon. So there was two of me, and two of Brian, but there was still no Emily. Phantom Space Funhouse is produced by Nate Gutman and Kim Scharfenberger. The Misplaced Man was written and composed by Nate Gutman and read by Kim Scharfenberger. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Space Pod and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps people find us. If you have questions or comments or just want to chat, you can write to us at phantomspacefunhouse at gmail.com or visit us at phantomspacefunhouse.com. As always, thanks for listening.